Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick. Thank you for joining me today for this particular podcast. We've got a pandemic kicking around the globe and there are a raft of issues to do with companies, company performance and how companies are uh, coping with the area, with, with being shut down or working through the pandemic period. There is a sector, however, that is more fascinating than most. It's the sector that does things in the medical space, the biotech sector. Not everybody understands that sector well, but they know it's important. But somebody who's made a career out of it is David Lansom. He's the editor of an online publication called Biotech Daily. And David will explain for us how the sector is looking at the moment and where it might head. David, thanks for joining me. Tommy, uh, great to be on board. Um... You're sort of right that we're online. Uh, I try to keep the car, the publication very old-fashioned. It actually goes out as a closed email PDF each night, and we update the website every fortnight or so. I keep the website about a fortnight to a month behind uh, the actual publication. So if you went to Biotech Daily, www.biotechdaily.com.au, and you know you're on the right page when you've got a blue kookaburra on the right-hand side. The last article that we've got on the back copies page is May 12, and I haven't updated the front page with the... uh, Each month I do a market cap index comparing the top 40 biotechs to the ASX 200. Uh, The uh, May 1 is currently on the front page. June 1 uh, was done yesterday and will go up later today or tomorrow. Uh, biotech has had a good coronavirus. I'll just let that sit there for a moment. In fact, quite a few people that I know have had a good coronavirus. I know that there are people hurting out there. I know that there are industries that have been shut down and workers are unemployed. Uh, But for a lot of the people I know, their children have returned to their homes and are staying with them because they can't afford rent. They're seeing more of their families. They don't like going to the office anyway, and they've found this fabulous excuse not to have to commute an hour each way each day. Just think for a moment of the millions, possibly billions of workers that waste an hour each way each day commuting that coronavirus has stopped. Now, I don't want to say it's a great thing. It's not a great thing. It's a terrible thing that people are sick and dying, and I think it's a very horrible and painful death. But to say the economy has been shut down, as some of the newspapers have said, is just ludicrous. Uh, Quite a lot of industries have continued. I rang my local pub to book a a table for when they they open up. And uh, they have um, said that they've kept all staff on board and they were on the the JobKeeper and there's no change for, um, for, for that pub. In fact, they've done all the renovations they've been hoping to do for years. So... There are uh, swings and roundabouts. Now, in the biotech space, uh, I have just done a count, and in the last three months, we've got only eight mentions of SARS-CoV-2. Now, we need to explain something first. SARS-CoV-2 is the virus, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2. That's the name of the bug itself. Yeah. And if you get the bug itself and you get sick, you have a disease known as coronavirus 19 or COVID-19. When I did a search of my own website, and as I say, it's not updated to June 1, it's updated to May 12, there was eight mentions of SARS and 108 mentions of COVID-19. That is companies claiming 
that they've got something to do with COVID-19. Some of them, to be fair, are companies saying that they've got US grants um, to get them through the COVID-19 period. But most of them are companies claiming that they either have a diagnostic for SARS, the, the, the virus, or a diagnostic for the antibodies, COVID-19, or devices such as ResMed and 4DX who are building ventilators. And we've got about a dozen companies that are working on drugs either to alleviate the, alleviate the symptoms or to actually deal with the virus. So there's quite a lot of activity going on in the biotech space directly related to helping the world um, deal with SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19. So well, I thought we'd just start with that one. Yeah, I mean, can, can we just take one one step back? Because Biotech Daily itself isn't going to be known by a lot of people uh, out there uh, listening to this. They'll be interested in what's going on with COVID. But, you know, where did Biotech Daily come from, David? Uh, a good question. Um, it was uh, a, an organic uh, accident in the making for 40 years. I'm a news journalist. I've always been a news journalist and I've always had an interest in medicine. And I would like to give a hat tip to my brother-in-law, uh, retired Professor George Fink, who has always been a hero of mine. He was a medical doctor, uh, trained in Melbourne, lectured in Monash, went to Oxford, um, ran the Brain Metabolism Unit in Edinburgh. Um, a real wonderful person to have as a uh, someone to uh, want to emulate. But I never did medicine. I did do a degree, in, a degree in psychology. That was about as close as I got. I spent a year as a paramedic with the Metropolitan Ambulance Service when I couldn't get work as a journalist. When I was um, in London for about a decade, one of the jobs I had was working for a, an arcane group called the Bureau of National Affairs, uh, subsequently acquired by Bloomberg for many millions of dollars. Bureau of National Affairs published um, uh, regulatory publications on everything from international trade to, um, sorry, Tommy, I can hear the paper flicking there and it's distracting me. Sorry. <laughs> everything from uh, uh, trade to environment and regulation, because with 50 odd states in the US, um, companies needed to know what the rules were, either to abide by them or to um, uh, break them and pay the penalty. So that's where I learned about this idea that you could charge a huge amount of money for factual information, something that has not sunk into the minds of some of our publications throughout the world. I won't, I won't name Murdoch Publications specifically, um, but there are publications that think that you can write absolute rubbish and people will buy it. And there are publications that print facts and Biotech Daily uh, copying the Bureau of National Affairs style is a very hard-nosed industry publication. And I fell into it by accident. I was reporting on the stock exchange, all back then 1,700 listed companies, and I found it excruciatingly tedious. Apart from a small group of about 100 companies where I could talk to scientists and doctors that were the CEOs and they could go off topic and talk about social and political affairs as well as what their real day job was. And I, I even knew some of them. So it was a very interesting area that there was these listed companies working in uh, basically medical uh, innovation in drugs, devices and diagnostics. So that started in 2005. 
Uh, we went live on November 7. We started charging for subscriptions uh, in January 06. And we've been around for 15 years. So, um, uh, and everything that's ever been written, any announcement that's ever been made about biotech in the last 15 years is on my back pages, uh, going back about 10 years, I think. Haven't got the full 15 years there. Um, and there are now 130 companies, including about 20 marijuana companies, uh, companies claiming to be working on medical marijuana. Some of them clearly are just growing dope and waiting for the recreational market. And some of them are very, very serious about trying to alleviate uh, all sorts of illnesses through uh, the consumption of marijuana. The other 110 companies work in drugs of all sorts. Uh, cancer drugs are something that Australia uh, is doing a lot of research on. Um, CSL is the big biotech. Most people uh, listening to this podcast will know of the Commonwealth Serum Laboratories, now known as CSL. Uh, ResMed does um, sleep apnea face masks and now building ventilators for COVID-19. And of course, cochlear with the ear implants. So apart from the big three, which are not included in my top 40, uh, there's 130 other companies doing similar sorts of things, if that's uh, a bit of a snapshot of how we arrived here. Yeah. How many of the companies you look at, David, are, are actually off the, off the market versus those that, are, that, that, that aren't on the stock market as opposed to those that are listed? Um, well, well you, you have a rough, you have any that you look at that aren't on the ASX? There's a few that are not listed. Um, I think the vast majority of working biotechs are ASX listed. Okay. Uh, there was there was one company um, that was working on a treatment for um, celiac disease, and effectively it was a couple of hundred thousand dollars worth of intellectual property in a drawer in uh, the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute of medical research. Um, so yes, it, it was a company, but uh, in name alone. Now that company later went on to, I think, either list on the NASDAQ or be acquired by the NASDAQ. So just because someone's flying under the radar doesn't mean that they don't exist. But when you hear people saying there's 400 or 1,000 private biotechs, um, I'd take that with um, maybe a couple of kilos of salt. <laughs> and then, but there are a few there are a few good ones and we report on them as well and the best of them subscribe to biotech daily and they send us uh emails with their news in it as if they were an asx company in fact the best of uh, the privates one of the best of the privates was um spinifex and it was acquired for about 800 million dollars uh it was a private or a public unlisted Another one that's currently operating is called Clarity Therapeutics and or Clarity Pharmaceuticals rather. And Clarity is a radio pharmaceutical company based in Sydney. They um, are not listed on the ASX, but they send us all their news as if they were listed on the ASX. The great thing about the ASX is it demands that if you start a trial, you have to give the results. If you announce it, you're beginning a phase one trial or a phase two or a phase three, Phase one is safety, phase two is looking for signals of efficacy, and phase three is generally a pivotal drug trial to show that it works. If you start one of them and you talk about it on the ASX, you have to give the end results. And that what that's what makes the ASX very special. I've often dreamed of starting 
Biotech Daily London or Biotech Daily somewhere else. In the UK, there are a large number of very well-funded private and public unlisted companies that are funded by private wealth in the UK. We don't have the same system here. We have this marvellous thing called the roulette wheel of the ASX, and Australians are known to bet on two flies crawling up a wall. So <laughs> if you want to raise some money, this is a great place to do it. Okay. We, we, we look at how you rank the companies. Uh, you mentioned that they're the, they're the top 40 ranking. Yes. Um, I, I suspect, um, uh, given that you said, if I recall correctly, you said Cochlear is not in the top 40. No, the big three would distort it far too much. And even within the big three, I count the big caps um, as a grouping. I do the cumulative market cap of the three. If CSL moves heavily in one direction, um, then that will change the big three as well. So I've excluded them from my top 40. And um, what how, I have got... How do you do I, it? So it, it, it's quite funny because... Uh, yes, I did start writing in rock and roll a long, long time ago. So the concept of having a top 40 is a good idea. Um, or as Molly Meldrum would say, do yourself a favour and have a listen. So I had 100 companies. And when I started in 2005, the way I was following the companies was through the Comsec trading website, which only allowed me to have 20 companies in a watch list. And I had five watch lists adding up to 100 companies. And... Uh, I thought, well, I want to work out who's the best of them. And the top 20 just seemed to be a bit too small. Um, I could have done a top 20. And in fact, yesterday and the previous month, the top 20 has had a significant difference with the second 20. So I had five groups, the top 20, second 20, third, fourth and fifth. And I simply added the two top ones together, called it a top 40 out of 100. Now, that gives it a, a, a broader base for understanding which way things are going. But really, the top 20 could stand on its own. It's not decided on market cap. Uh, anyone who's ever read anything on feminism will know that size isn't everything. And in fact, you can have really huge companies in the ASX 20 uh, that are uninnovative, uh, may not even make profits. They're so big and so clunky that... Um, they're, they're not they're not going to make a lot of money. They might they might end up paying good dividends. Whereas a small company um, may well be a better company, and we find that over and over again in biotech. So in my top twenty, I include I think sorry in the top forty I think I've got one company that's worth as little as about ten million dollars, uh, and that is um, Amplia, uh, which is worth almost nothing. Uh, it's got a very lousy share price, but it's got a team of people in, involved in it that um, are about the best cancer researchers in the country. Uh, their market cap at the end of April was $5 million. I think they jumped as high as um, $9 million yesterday. So that's a very small company. And I should also declare a conflict of interest. I own shares in a number of companies. The bottom of the front page of Biotech Daily's website gives a list of all the companies I own shares in. Just because I own shares in them doesn't mean they're good. I have made mistakes and I will make mistakes again. But Amplia has got a really good team, but it's got a lousy uh, market cap. And it's in a group with um, Next Science, which has got a market cap of about $300 million. 
So size isn't everything. What is everything is interesting and good science. Can they have an impact on human health? Is this likely to do to change the world for the better? Uh, and finally, well, and then next, board and management. Is, is the company competent enough to take its concept, and everyone has a very good concept, at the lab bench, they're all great ideas. Does the team involved have the ability to take that great idea all the way through to registration and sales? And we've seen with another company in which I own shares, Telix, um, ticker code TLX, uh, they listed with phase two and three trials underway for radioisotopes. Um, they've already got sales of one of their radioisotopes. So they came in pretty much ready to go, and now they're going. Uh, again, a small company, market cap only $340 million. Um, when I met ProMedicus, uh, which does software imaging, they were trading at $0.70. Cents. I should have listened more closely to Sam Huppert, the CEO. Um, I did like the story. I should have bought some shares. They were at $0.70 cents about four years ago. They're $20, north of $20 now. So that's one of the ones I missed. <laughs> okay. Um in terms of COVID-19, we mentioned earlier that there are companies that have that lots of companies talking about it. Some of them have got grants. Um, uh, some of them have been, been, got some payments from governments to, to sustain them. Um, others are doing interesting work like ResMed in terms of building ventilators and that kind of thing. It, in terms of um, what's it, the old cliche, you, know, you never, you should never waste a crisis. Biotech seems to be an area where you can't afford to waste a crisis. You uh, you progress. Is that? Well, we've got a lot of very sophisticated watchers of biotech. You've got to remember that the CEOs of these companies, um, the directors of these companies, are generally uh, scientists medical doctors, uh, intelligent people. I write for an intelligent audience. And when we see a marijuana company saying that they're going to rub marijuana on COVID-19, we just laugh. When you see a company that's got nothing to do with influenza uh, or viruses saying that they've got a, a new drug that will fix it, you view it with great suspicion until they show some evidence. So I think one of the first companies to talk about having a drug uh, for COVID-19 was uh, a cancer company um, that I wasn't too sure was actually getting any headway with cancer. On the other hand, Mesoblast uh, came out and said that its uh, mesenchymal stem cells for graft-versus-host disease were working to suppress the immune reaction in graft-versus-host disease, and it's that immune reaction in COVID-19 that was causing the problems. Now, go back a step. Graft-versus-host disease is for often children, but also adults who have transplants, and their body rejects the transplant. Their immune system goes into chaos, a thing called a cytokine storm, and that it's their own body that makes them very, very sick. I didn't realise when Mesoblast and also Sinata, uh, another ASX-listed company, 
were working on graft versus host disease that what the stem cells were doing was quietening down the body's immune response to the foreign object. And they're using the same principle uh, against COVID-19. And mesoblasters run a small trial, I think it was of 12 patients, 10 patients directly benefited, and of eight of the 10, uh, I think, left hospital within a couple of weeks. And these were all patients on ventilators who had a 50-50 chance of dying. Now, they're very small numbers, and mesoblast share price skyrocketed on the basis um, that they were doing this trial. But they have now done the right thing and taken the, the early look, the 12-patient trial, to a 300-patient trial, which is underway. And that's what we like to see is a proper, rigorous, large, randomised, controlled trial. If someone says, oh, I, I, um, I drank some bleach the other day and made me feel a lot better, uh, well, then that's just one person's anecdotal evidence. And if they happen to be the President of the United States of America, then you dismiss it altogether. <laughs> but if it's a 300-patient randomised controlled trial, that's a different matter. Uh, mesoblast jumped from a market cap of 744 mil at the end of March to 1.7 bill at the end of April. And at the end of the May, Mesoblast's um, total market cap was up to 2.1 billion. So it's gone up threefold in two months on the basis that, A, it's got this small study that shows um, proof of concept, and now they're running a big study. And I wish them all the best because if they can, and also I own shares in Mesoblast. Uh, I should make that disclaimer. Um, but I wish them all the best because if this can quieten down the cytokine storm as they hope, uh, then that will be good for Mesoblast. And that doesn't discount Sinato, another stem cell company, and another one in which I own shares as a disclaimer. Um, then there'll be multiple companies working on uh, quietening down as they say, the cytokine storm, the body's own immune reaction to the, um, to the virus. Uh, that said, the easiest way to destroy the virus is by comple completing the lockdown. We should have been shut down for another two to four weeks and eliminate the virus altogether. We should have suburb by suburb um, re reporting of where the virus is. And when suburbs of Australia are declared clear, then they can open up to other suburbs and it wouldn't have taken very long. We're almost there. We're still almost there. Another two weeks of shutdown would probably guarantee it apart from the odd outlier. Sorry, I've drifted off topic. So I'll go back to your point about the companies. You've got to be very, very careful about just seeing the name COVID-19 in the, in the headline and thinking that that's got anything to do with success. Uh, there are plenty of companies you know, claiming that they're doing something. Um, you have to drill down into the data and know what the company's about. So, for example, one of the first to say that it had a test for uh, uh, SARS was genetic signatures. Now, they've been working on respiratory disease and diagnos diagnostics for respiratory disease since day one. So they have a credible argument that they have taken their respiratory tests and converted it to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. They were already testing for coronaviruses. Um, Proteomics is another company that was working in uh, PIQ, is its ticker code, and um, 
genetic signatures as GSS. They were already working in, in that space and they've extended their diagnostics to SARS-CoV-2. Um, other companies have just come out of nowhere. And then there's a couple of interesting ones. Emerald Clinics is a marijuana company. Um, well, sort of a marijuana company. Uh, it's connected to the clinics that prescribe marijuana. But what they've really got hidden behind them, the, the fact that they're claiming to be a marijuana company, is a database. And they're able to track their database and their patients and their responses. And they're using their database to track COVID-19. And I find that extremely interesting and an extremely interesting adaptation. And it also proves, disproves the rule that you can't take a company that's outside a field and suddenly be inside a field, just as mesoblast went from stem cells for graft versus host disease to uh, COVID-19. Uh, Emerald Clinics has gone from being a marijuana clinic type company where you go to get your dope prescribed for whatever illness you've got to being a database. And another outlier is Opal, O-P-L, which is basically a software company teaching people how to use social media. And it's um, had an increase in customers primarily because of the need for better social media. Uh, and it's, it's been talking to biotech companies and a range of companies and apparently has scored two contracts in the last month um, in order to have companies uh, able to get their story across uh, without having to go to conferences. That's actually interesting. The latter, latter one's seen um, the latter issue has seen a, a boom in the use of Zoom and, and other conferencing um, forums. I think even Microsoft Teams has been getting a run in various organisations as a result of people working from home. Um, you mentioned earlier, David, given you're uniquely placed given the subject matter that you look at um, about the lockdown. And the question of how how soon people should be reopening. I was interested when you sort of dived into that corner. You believe that we do you believe that we've opened up too early? I think um, that Australia has. Well, we know that our, Australia and New Zealand have outperformed all other Western developed countries on dealing with the virus. Um, I believe that the federal government has been. Um, uh, malleable and has listened to not just the scientists but also um, Daniel Andrews, the Premier, the Labor Premier of Victoria, and Gladys Berejiklian, the Conservative Premier of New South Wales, who the day that Scott Morrison said he was going to the football the next day said, no, you're not because we're closing our states. And Scott Morrison was forced into um, a back down on that one. He has, I think, done the right thing but he's been forced to do the right thing. There has been a continuous siren call from people that care more about dollar figures on a balance sheet than human life. And I am absolutely disgusted with the Murdoch media and all the others that claimed originally that COVID-19 was a hoax, that it was just a cold. All these lies they told are reprehensible. We have good science to show that this is a very virulent, very serious disease. And playing with it as if it's just another common cold or a hoax is, is, is literally insane and murderous, and it's barbaric. Now, the only way the disease transmits is through humans. The virus 
is a human virus, even if it did come from uh, crossing other animal species, it is now a human virus. If we isolate, the virus dies. The virus has no other uh, sponsors. It needs us to live. It needs us to be transmitted. Now, it's, it's true that if you shut down altogether for four weeks and people were very, very careful, there might still be the odd outlier, but you would continue rigorous testing. Anyone that's got the, the basic symptoms of a cough and a fever and a headache would be tested and you would be able to restrict it. Uh, it, it's just a no-brainer that we are so close to eliminating it from Australia altogether that we may as well go for broke, and then you can open up. So if, for example, Tasmania was able to completely eliminate the virus and Victoria completely eliminated the virus, it's not a matter of trust, it's a matter of scientific evidence. And if it's down to such a low rate that we can't even see it, then Victoria and Tasmania can open up. And if New Zealand has eliminated the virus, then we can open up with New Zealand and, and the same with other states and other countries. And even, say, for example, Bali has a very low rate at the moment. If we, were, if we could come to an agreement with Indonesia that we're going to put a couple of doctors um, uh, and, and uh, investigators into Bali, and as soon as they declare it open, we can have flights to Bali uh, and anywhere else. Uh, we look at the Nordic countries and we can see a very clear um, difference between Sweden and its three Nordic neighbours. Now, Sweden stayed open to protect its economy, the numbers on balance sheets. It has got as bad an economic downturn as Denmark, Norway and Finland, but with one small exception. Denmark, Norway and Finland, which have flattened their curve entirely, are now opening their borders to each other, but they're excluding tourism to and from Sweden. So Sweden has not only killed 4,000 of its own people unnecessarily, it has also destroyed its economy worse than the others because no one's going to go there. Do you, want, do you fancy a holiday in America or the UK at the moment? Spain, Italy, France? No. <laughs> um, the, it, there's something about what you said that, and we'll make this the last one, David, but, and you've been generous with your time. There's something about what you've said that causes me to reflect momentarily and ask this question. Is the penchant for a lot of opinion writers to write things that are contrarian or opposing points of view, uh, particularly in what we're seeing through this pandemic, um, harmful? Is it for the sake of opposing something to get a rise out of people, but it ends up potentially causing greater harm than good? No, I don't think it's necessarily contrarian. I think they're paid black propagandists and um, doing the dirty work for people that uh, have another agenda. I mean, if you just consider every worker in the world a work unit and not a human being, and their parents as irrelevant and their grandparents as uh, a burden on society, if that's your mindset, then you'll happily write that kind of nonsense. I mean, I'm always surprised that um, by the comments by the, um, the gentleman in Sydney that thankfully we don't have in Melbourne, Alan Jones. This is an elderly man living in self-isolation, uh, poo-pooing COVID-19 as a hoax, as a lie, as a 
common cold as something that you shouldn't worry about and we need to reopen the economy. Now, although he's elderly and living in isolation, he's a very wealthy man. He's got a lot of uh, investments and he's obviously more concerned about his investments than he is about human life. I'm more concerned about human life. And that's what I love about biotech and why I'm happy uh, writing about ASX-listed companies because even though some biotechs are now very, very focused on money and shareholder value, they are all started with altruism. Every biotech, apart from some recent ones jumping on the bandwagon, all the older biotechs were started by someone who thought they'd invented something that was going to help humanity. Uh, they might not have stayed altruistic all the time, but at least that's their starting point. And no, I, I, I put um, people's parents and grandparents ahead of dollar signs. David, no, that's been a great tour, if you like, through your career, through biotech. Oh, can I just want to say one more thing? Yeah. Also, by putting people ahead of dollar signs, you actually make more money. Yeah, healthy population equals healthy profits is what you're saying. Yeah. Because altruism, you know, altruism is great capitalism. But you, you, but you need people to buy stuff. If the people you, if you don't have a population to buy stuff, you fail. Yeah. It's very simple. Yeah. <laughs> David, look. Exactly. Uh, as I've said numerous times, no planet, no jobs, no workers, no jobs. It's that simple. I mean, uh, the, the problem with a lot of people that call themselves economists, and there's one on the ABC that I find gratingly irritating, is that they've never read their Marx. And if you haven't read your Karl Marx, you just don't know economics. It's that simple. Uh, Ernst Mandel wrote a pamphlet called um, The Labour Theory of Value. And basically it says that every, all profit is reducible to the labour that goes into the commodity. And it's a very simple formula that if you don't have workers... People don't employ workers to give them jobs. People employ workers to exploit them to make profit. Even I do that. I charge more for my publication than I pay my staff in wages. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. You know, it's very, very simple. <laughs> okay. David, thanks for your time. It's been an interesting chat. Now, where do people find you if they want to go and look at a biotech data? So to read back copies, to see the latest news which I put up, uh, the historic website is www.biotechdaily, one word, B-I-O-T-C-H-D-A-I-L-Y.com.au. You're on the right page when you see a blue kookaburra. If you want to get the daily news, then you have to subscribe. It's $1,500 per subscriber. That uh, doesn't matter whether you're CSL, Roche, GSK, the federal government, the state government, or just a small startup or an individual, I charge everyone the same flat rate. Plus 100, that gives you up to three delivery addresses. Another 100 takes you up to 10 delivery addresses, another 100 up to 20 delivery addresses and so forth. Um, or you can just read uh, past news. If you're seriously thinking of investing in biotech, I would strongly recommend that you read every edition of Biotech Daily for at least six to 12 months. And then you'll get some idea of what's really going on in those companies. The research is not easy. It's not simple. I made some pretty catastrophic mistakes in my investing early in the piece. Uh, more recently, I've been um, better off. Do your research. And that's a good message to end on. David Langsam, editor and um, founder of Biotech Daily. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much for having me, Tom.
Not a problem. Absolute pleasure.